At Henson, we're looking forward to the holidays, and that means more time in the kitchen. Now, imagine your trusty kitchen knife had a wobbly handle. You'd be nervous. Well, the same is true in shaving. Most razors on the market today don't support the blades well enough, allowing them to flex and bend. This is a source of razor burn. At Henson, we used our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to solve this problem, supporting the blade so you can use it confidently. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. I'm back again for a second week. It's Luke, editor of thecustardtv.com, on my podcast again. Uh, Matt is here as always, though. Hi. Why is it well, your podcast? If you look back, you'll probably like the third amount of episodes you've been true. on after probably me and Gary. And Dawn's then Dawn. getting Dawn's getting up there. Dawn's <laughs> taking my crown. She's back again. Hi, Dawn. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming after you. It's the only race I have any possibility with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Snap there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt, I noticed on Instagram you've been updating your personal feed with pictures of canals and Dave Grohl and the COVID test. <laughs> Why have you took pictures of canals? Because they're not that attractive here in the UK. Well, I... The reason behind it, the bridges they were... Oh, bridges, sorry. My friends Andrew and Helen have got a little girl called Poppy. Mm. And I had done quite a long canal walk and taken a couple of pictures of the bridges. Then she had done a smaller one and taken some. So I was basically filling in all the gaps of the bridge numbers that she hadn't taken pictures of. You heard all that, didn't you, Dawn? You heard all of that sentence. And yet you probably heard, if you listened back to last week, Matt said that I have an empty life, which I do and I accept, but I'm not taking pictures of canals for six-year-olds. But I'm also in the step challenge at work, Luke. The difference is I leave the house. Well, what's the step challenge? What have you got to do? Got to do over 10,000 steps a day. It's basically a work thing. I mean, I already do it anyway, and I'm out of like 80 people who are doing it across the force. I am third. Ooh, get you. I feel seen. Dawn, how's your step count? Yeah, about 12. <laughs> 12,000 or 12? 12. 12. Oh, okay, fair enough. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Right, on the podcast this week, four shows, as always, four brand new ones that may or may not be worth your time. Actually, that's not true. One of them is a returning show. Inside number nine is back this week. We'll talk about the first episode of its eighth and penultimate series. Uh, We're also going to do political drama in The Diplomat on Netflix. This will be the second show with that title that Matt and Dawn have reviewed. Uh, Then we're going to do Malpractice on um, ITV and Dead Ringers, which is not the one with John Coleshaw on Prime Video. 
First Four of people all, got that reference. Um, <laughs> Three of them are on the podcast. Yeah. So, what have we been watching? I'll start with Dawn because she had a rare week in that she didn't have to watch anything for homework. So, what have you been prioritising? I finished Calling from the Couch, which I really love. Uh, I, I think universally people on Twitter have seen it are very fond of that. It was very refreshing. Uh, mm. I really enjoyed that. I finished Six Ford, the Scottish drama with Kevin McKidd. It wasn't as good as I'd hoped. They've obviously set it up for a second series, and I think I would enjoy him as a central character, mm. as a police detective. I think that would be really good. So I would definitely watch more if it does come back. I haven't seen anything. On the recommendation of the this very podcast, and Sarah especially, uh, I've watched all of Rain Dogs um, over the Me course too. of... Me yeah. too. Me hey. too. Over the course of... Do you weeks. want to talk about it and really annoy Luke? <laughs> yes. I thought it was so original. You know, the only thing I could compare it to in my mind was um, obviously the... Oh, the, it's gone right out of my head. The film with um, Richard E. Grant and... Paul with Nail and I. With Nail and I, thank you. But only me... with that character, only with yeah. the Selby character. Um, but also in the sense of she wants to be successful in the arts. Mm. And sort of a toxic so, relationship, perhaps. Yeah. But Yeah, but I um, like that they were awful people but you still cared about them but were they awful because of their background because my sort of reading of it have it you know reflecting on it afterwards was that they were both putting on these characters because of childhood trauma or because of mental health issues we learned that costello jones was not her real name and i think it was like this facade she put on probably at university when she first met selby yeah. And I loved that episode where it was like a year of them living in that country house together. I thought that was brilliant. Oddly, my mum has also watched it all this week and I think enjoyed it more than I did. So Good. just to a point Luke was making last week about the sort of original shows and stuff like that. I, I wish I'd brought up Rain Dogs because this was an HBO co-production, was it not, Luke? It was. You know, this was a, a first time screenwriter, original idea actors who aren't really known in America, you know, and I, I think almost universally it has had good reviews. It's become a word of mouth hit. And actually, we were talking about how BBC did no promotion on it whatsoever. And now every break between programmes, there's an advert for it saying, please watch this on, on iPlayer, because I think it has become one of those word of mouth hits in the same way you mentioned Colin from Accounts has been. I think it's perhaps because it is so original in terms of the plot and characters. I don't know if the adverts sell that so much. They should because my mum was very confused. She was like, oh, is, is the daughter, is this about the, the wee girl has autism or something? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure that advertising has done it justice, but obviously word of mouth is. And again, I hope they do do more of this. There's no line drawn under it. And hopefully, you know, and it'd be interesting to see as the girl grows up, you know, they could possibly do it a couple of years later and how she is now a teenager, maybe a little bit smarter and what the relationship is like with her mum there. And I think that would be good. And hopefully that that comes back. Season two, The Cleaner. I just love this show so much. I think I loved Greg Davis anyway, but... It's the heart it, that it has, I think, is really surprising. They're, they're quite... And I was going to bring that up, actually, when we talk about Inside Number 9, because they've done a similar thing, haven't they, with these sort of self-contained 
plays, albeit with a you know recurring character. Yeah. And I, I like how almost every episode is. I need to get this done quickly because I want to go to the pub. That is his main motivation in every episode. <laughs> As a shipper, there is a little slow-burning ship underneath between him and the female uh, police woman who's quite often at the scene when he turns up, uh, which I really like. And I just like the characterizations. I think it's always surprising and different. And I can't think of the phrase. It's not a moral lesson. It's not social commentary. There's always it's a nice message in it. The, it's surprisingly lovely, even though it can be quite uh, crass, I suppose is the word. Dawn, if she's seen the most recent Ted Lasso episode, the one who understood it. Indeed, uh, yes. What I was, did you make to start? I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was very long. It was like over an hour. An hour over an hour long. Yeah. But then it did have six separate storylines. <laughs> to be fair <laughs> to it was enough for an, a, a season of some sitcoms. I mean, I absolutely adore what they've done with Jamie and Roy. That is really... that a ship? Yes, I'm sure a lot of people ship them. Fan fiction and that. <laughs> yes, it's a fan canon one. I just really liked it. I wasn't entirely sold on Ted's Rebe- story. And Rebecca's so, story. Well, no, I quite liked Rebecca's story, but um, oh. I don't know if it's just a total misdirect or if he's going to come back into mm. it. The fact that he said they'd slept together with, you know, they had slept together when he said they had. Yeah, but that was a bit creepy. I think the Ted stuff, you know, it was a it was a story that that had to happen because it was playing into we've been doing really badly. Here's something that might help us. I didn't think it needed both the Higgins in the jazz club and the team trying to decide what to do. They were both very sort of similar yes. sort of C stories. I really like the stuff with is it Colin? Yeah, Colin, Colin and Trent Krim. Yeah, that I, th- was I think that was my favourite because they sort of dropped that story and that was one of my criticisms when we talked about it last week is the Colin story, once we found out about it, had been completely dropped. Trent Krim becoming more of a cat rather than just a one-note character, I actually thought. Yeah. I, uh, I think the problem with the show is, that, is what a lot of shows start to suffer is when they have so many stories, there's only so much they can fit in an episode. So you'll hmm. have two or three episodes where a story is dropped. Like, for instance, Keely wasn't in this, Nate wasn't mm. in this. It makes you frustrated because you're thinking, well, I want to know what the next thing is in that, but but they are overloading it with stories. And obviously, as it's coming towards the end of probably the whole show, they have to tie everything well, up. Well, they were saying, weren't they, that this is the final season, but then they've sort of, like, dropped that now. <laughs> it's It's very much like... When it was like, this is the third season, we're doing one more. But now they haven't sort of promoted it as the final season. So I do wonder. Somebody must have waved a very big check in front of their faces, I suspect. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, well, all right then. <laughs> they could go either way with it. Luke, you haven't talked in a while. And I, I, I'm gonna, I think this is the longest you haven't talked when you've been on a podcast. I've been seething under my breath, but I haven't been talking. <laughs> I wanted to talk primarily about Beef, which Dawn wrote about uh, on the website. You read her review there. Ten half hours, um, and I've seen eight of them. Would have finished the last two today. May still, uh, if this podcast doesn't drag on and on like some of them do. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I just adore it. And I love the fact that it's it's episodic. I don't think Netflix does episodic very often because it doesn't need to the the algorithm doesn't need episodes because it just plays 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you don't think about it. But it's not a two-hour movie. This is an episodic piece of television. The one I just watched explored their childhoods, which I thought was really fascinating and interesting character study of the people they were versus the people they grew into. And Ali Wong and Stephen Yeun are just so brilliant. I care about them so much at this point. I think it's one of my favourite shows of the last couple of years. I think it's so original. I think the voices that are telling the story are telling it from their own unique perspective. Being Asian Americans, we don't see enough of their stories told on TV. I think it's just outstanding. I really, really love it so much. Dawn, is this one you've recommended to people at all? Yeah, I have. I, I think, though, it's not something that I would recommend universally. I think it's because it's quite pessimistic about mm. life, you know? Mm. And it's, it's, it's negative about people's instincts and that, you know, life is hard and even if you are rich, life is, can yeah. be hard. You know, yeah. and I think it's quite a, a bleak take on humanity. So the last episode is particularly surreal. There's moments in it that I think some people wouldn't like because it's very arty. That's interesting. Because um, yeah. I normally oh. don't like those sort of things either. So it's going to be interesting to see my take on it and whether it skews my view of the whole thing. But I just think everybody's so well drawn. Even her young daughter, I care about so much. <laughs> She's only like four or five, but I really care about her and she's giving a really strong performance. I think it's unlike anything we've reviewed on the podcast before. I agree that it's pessimistic, it's risque, but those two lead performances are just stunning and the road rage incident and the way that plays out, I think it's just unpredictable and fascinating and I love it. And it's all on Netflix now. And it's been a long time since I've been passionate about something on Netflix. I think the thing before this was Unorthodox that uh, Matt and I put in our top tens of 2021. 2020? Yeah, if you do that voice, it makes me more convinced I was wrong. (laughs) Was it 2020? I don't know. I don't know now. I know Normal People was my number one of 2020, but I can't think what. Yeah, it was it was twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. So it's been a while for me and Netflix. That's my recommendation outside of the other two shows, which are killing it at the moment, which of course are Succession and Barry. Anything else, uh, Matt, apart from Rain Dogs? Um, Race Across the World. Yes, still good. However, and yeah. I, I understand why it is because of that frigging worldwide virus that ruined television for me. It is because of COVID, but I do feel that this one. Because of the landscape and because of the way Canada works, there's a lot less tension in who's going to get there when they're all on the same train. Mm-hmm. Yes, the personalities are good. They're fascinating. They're interesting. They're all nice people. But as far as the race is concerned, there's not much to it. And I think that is lacking for me this year. The, the second series, which Dawn, you didn't accidentally play on iPlayer, I think you'd enjoy even more because I think the characters on that are really interesting and that felt like a proper race whereas this is you're on the same train carriage as us who's going to get there first oh my dad didn't tie his shoelaces up so that i think as well where they plan the checkpoints yeah there's only this form of public transport every so often so they're all going to get on it 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 doesn't leave you with that many options no it looks like now they're going to more built areas doesn't it i think the bottom half of the series is then sort of going from more deserted landscapes into cityscape the tension more this time is 
the budgets rather than the distance, yeah, isn't the it? The taxis, the taxis. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is what we've been watching. If you want to find out what we're talking about online, you can do it by following us all on Twitter. Dawn, you can be found at. I can be found at Dawn Glen Two, and the shipyard is at the shipyard UST. The shipyard is uh, my podcast with my friend Lucy. We talk about chippiness on TV, relationships, romantic relationships, will they want these, slow burns. Uh, we've mostly been taking a hiatus because Lucy is doing her masters. However, last night I edited a new episode. Woohoo! And Whoa. funnily enough, it's about this week's Ted Lasso. So um, okay. hopefully that Wait. will be up by the time this. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. But no need to listen to it because you heard Dawn's thoughts here first. Uh, CustardTV.com is the website. Uh, you can follow the podcast at CustardTVPod. Uh, we're also on Instagram, thanks to a certain Scottish member of this team. Uh, you can find that. It's the Custard TV. Uh, I am on Twitter myself, at Luke Custard TV. Matt is on Twitter, at Matt's TV Bytes. At Custard TV Pod on Twitter for the podcast. Uh, you can listen to us on all your podcast apps of choice. Please rate, review and subscribe. And if you'd like to be a part of the podcast, please just uh, contact us on the socials, as people call them, or email custardtvreviews at gmail.com. Have you told your friends about this podcast? Okay, here we go. No. It's just not my idea of a good time. Tell them now. That's what the people want to hear. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Good the last drop. From thecustardtv.com. ITV's malpractice first, and Dawn, I believe, is going to talk us through uh, the basics of that. Malpractice tells us the story of Dr. Lucinda Edwards. A busy night in A&E. Uh, she has a junior doctor, Ramya Morgan, who's working with her. They don't seem to have the best of relationships already. And the tension of A&E makes things worse. Lucinda receives a phone call from someone called Rose. And shortly afterwards, an overdose victim, Edith Awusu, comes in and is very severely ill. Whilst they're attending to her, the alarm goes off and they rush into reception and find a gunman with a gunshot victim who is demanding be treated. They have not enough beds and Lucinda has to make a decision who is stable enough to be moved to another department. She decides to move Edith, but before she does, she changes Edith's medical records, which say accidental overdose. She changes it to deliberate overdose. And she sends her junior... Ramya with Edith to supervise and keep an eye on her while she tends to the gunshot victim. And Edith dies under the watch of Ramya, who has left her. And there is miscommunication of instructions. Due to this, there is an investigation. Lucinda, having been in control that evening, is investigated. Also, her senior is Dr. Leo Harris, played by James Purefoy, who she had allowed to leave early to go and pick his son up. So he is partly to blame. It becomes a question of the chain of command between him, her and Ramya. Who made the mistake? Was it miscommunication? Was it 
negligence was there another element to it and Ramya it turns out informs the investigator about the phone call that somehow Lucinda knew about this overdose victim before the ambulance called in and therefore how did she have she's not psychic how did she know that this overdose victim was coming in there is must be another element to this we find out yes there is and that Rose is uh, Rob another doctor who um, has been prescribing opiates on the, the fly. And there's some story about repeated overdoses that Lucinda has been covering up for him or facilitating for him. It's not entirely clear. She is going to be severely under um, this investigation, which happens to be led by a, an old friend of hers, a, a previous uh, colleague, George Adieu, who has given up medical practice because he lost a patient. So there's a connection there. At the end of the first episode, Rob, the uh, opiate uh, prescriber, um, meets a sticky end. And that is where we leave them uh, for the next, uh, to tell the next part of the investigation into whether she is indeed malpractice. <laughs> I thought that was going to be like her boss's name, like Malcolm Practice. Because <laughs> that's what they would have done in years gone by. An ITV drama in the seventies. It would have been about Malcolm practice, <laughs> or like peak practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Malcolm practice. What's he up to again? Matt, uh, can we go to you first? I'm interested. I wasn't quite sure what to make of this because it becomes something completely different, doesn't it? I mean, it starts as like almost like a, a start of an episode of ER or something like that, and then it morphs into almost like a who do we trust type drama. I think it's great that Neve Algar is leading a big sort of tempole 9pm drama. Uh, we loved her in The Virtues. I thought she was great in Suspects, I think was the James Nesbitt thing from last year. She was in a single episode of that. Here, I think the character is an odd one because as Dawn summed up there she keeps changing throughout doesn't she you know you're never quite sure where you are with her and actually by that end scene you're like do i want to spend time in this woman's company and i've then made the... a terrible mistake here <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna re-say everything that's saying but carry on and, and i was thinking who then is the audience proxy and i think it might be as you mentioned uh george her former colleague um who a pa- lost a patient and he I think is the most sympathetic character here for me personally I liked his relationship with Dr Norma Callahan, who is played by Helen Behan who was also in The Virtues mm. with Neve I Algar. kept thinking I want to watch The Virtues <laughs> <laughs> those two almost feel like they're in a different show that from this like generic ITV thriller mm. that is also happening that reminds me of the suspect, wasn't it, with Aidan Turner? That was mm-hmm. what that was called. I thought the two junior doctors were also underwritten S- and a bit generic. And... and then there's also her husband, who is almost like a non-factor. I think it would have helped as well if we had seen, I, I think the character comes into it later on, the father of the girl who'd passed away, because rather than just being a plot point, she would yeah. be an actual character. There's bits I liked, but it was sort of very disjointed. Interestingly, and I don't know if either of you saw this, written by someone who used to work as a doctor, mm-hmm. the writer. I did. I did. And is 
basing this a lot on where she was similarly in her A&E rotation and has talked about during COVID when they were trying to bring a lot of people from different bits of the NHS to work in the Nightingale hospitals. I read that in the in the press pack. She says like these malpractice meetings and a lot of doctors being under investigation is something you never really see in drama. I liked that element of it, but it's sort of the ITV thriller, which almost sort of overtakes it in the second half because we have to have all these twists. It feels like that overtakes well, from being this quite interesting story about the malpractice, but I think that's sort of wrestling the two okay. the two ends. Basically, World Productions, we've been covering their stuff since their inception with the very first Line of Duty, and we've seen their evolution from Line of Duty well, being quite a quiet show on BBC Two with a lot of interesting plots and stuff going on into this big behemoth that it became toward the end. And I sort of liken all their dramas to Simon Cowell's production company, Psycho. It doesn't exist anymore, but when it did, they used to make all of the Got Talent shows around the world and they'd make them to a similar format. Same music, same sort of sub-story, same, editing. You know, all, editing the same. And I feel that way about World Productions at this point because I feel like they are a well-oiled machine I thought this was very similar to a last thing of theirs that I really took against early on, which was Vigil, where the exciting thing in Vigil happened at the beginning and then it was all a lot of people talking and stuff. This has the exciting moment being the gunman coming in and everyone rushing around and then morphs into, as Matt was saying, this strange sort of legal procedural with a couple of twists. Which I liked. I didn't like that at all. I just Well, I like the legal procedural, but the backstory of her was what I took against. I set this up to record for my mum because she likes medical dramas. And the problem is, I don't think this is a medical drama. The opening sequence is the most medical this is going to get. And I just found all of the characters so... No, I didn't take against them, didn't find them irritating, but I just thought, I want to care, please make me care. And I don't, and I don't have to be caring about lovely people. You know, the people in Beef aren't particularly nice people that you'd want to spend any time with, but I care so deeply about them. And I think World Productions does this thing where they're so busy building up the tension and these big moments and all the trailers have got that gunman coming into the A&E and disturbing people, and that happens so early on that the rest of it can't keep up. It has this big moment at the start that it can't follow up on, and I just feel like This Is Gonna Hurt was the best medical drama I've seen in a long time and that was all about characters and the way the NHS was functioning or not as the case may be. They did some things in this about Covid which I Mm. know the writer has been through but felt just tacked on to make it feel more contemporary and modern. I don't think there's anything in this. It's all going up on ITVX. There's no hook at the end of it or there's no Big enough. Yeah, there is. Someone, there someone is. just said what the hook but was. I know, but how many times have we seen that in something? But you are in the minority about like having to care about characters in a mm. thriller. This is something where you'll be getting into the story, not how necessarily how it's written and how the characters are written, mm. but the story itself. And I think there is sort of no. some fundamental issues in the storytelling yeah. in that I think what the writer wants to tell 
is the medical malpractice story, mm. is the investigation, is the Helen Bayhan character, you know, him being on the ward watching her and yeah. the mistakes she's making. Yeah, yeah. But then the world production bit of it, where you say it's niche, but in the adverts, it's from the people who bought yeah. you Line of Duty. Yeah, yeah. Um, and her being like a character with multiple layers is almost going away, I think, from what the writer wanted to do initially. And I think that's because this is ITV primetime, yeah. because this is a thriller. Do you know what would have worked better for me? And and it's fascinating that it's a five and not a six. Mm. If we'd have spent the first episode experiencing the life mm. on the wards... I agree. The same thing happened, but it happened at the end, so you knew who people were and you, you saw what their day-to-day life was like. And then it morphed into the thing, I'd be more on board. That's yeah, all but that's I wanted. you, and that's a very niche opinion, I think. Certainly for an ITV drama, I don't think you would get that. I think their thought is that people like watching things that move really fast and have got these twists and turns, similar again to The Suspect. That's what but, it, but, my, my mind kept going back to. Yeah, don't and they I think feel actually, hollow, though, in the end? Don't they feel hollow? But I don't think many people who watch TV care about that Luke as much as we do and our little circle do and the people who live online a lot of people do enjoy things like that and I don't think we'll have the patience to sit there and watch an hour of like a prologue Dawn in a world where only one of us is right (laughs) which one of us is it well no I'm agreeing with what you're saying but I, I what I'm saying is that I don't think there are a lot of people that think like us and mm. like this is made for a mass audience, which unfortunately we are not a part of. No. I agree though. I think it would have been better if it was from somebody else's point of view. The malpractice side, those two characters investigating, even if it had just come from them and then they get introduced to Lucinda and what's going on with her, I would have preferred that. Disjointed is exactly the word. It felt as if we had landed in the middle of something but I didn't know enough to want to connect to. I, I agree with you, Luke, that, I, that when we saw Lucinda with, at home with her, her uh, husband and child, we had absolutely no context to that. I, it was just suddenly we're with this husband and child and I would have liked to have got into them before we saw them. Mm. Yes, I let him go home for his son because I know what it's like. I've got a child and it's difficult, blah, blah, blah. You know, I agree as well Matt that the medical side is much more interesting to me I would have been interested in a drama about how you cope with these life or death decisions they have to make in a second Mm. that somebody will die and they have to make Uh, that choice. What you're saying Dawn there actually if they did start with those two characters it could almost be like a line of duty where you've got like a different Guess so, you know, Lucinda would be your guest character to their investigating. And maybe that's, if this does well, that might be where they go, that they can make it into a series with these two characters investigating someone and it's a new story each time. But the two characters, they should be the base of it. And then we meet her because we are following her story and certainly her home life. You know, I know nothing about her husband after watching one episode. If they did it that way, it's an easy end too because George's character then has to go and shadow Lucinda uh, being A&E for several days. So that's the way we would see it. As the audience, we would see it as he does. 
while he's there, he gets to know, asks questions. And there was an awful lot of exposition done in him asking questions. I think it would have been better if that was how we got to know Lucinda and Ramya and their relationships and, and what James Purefoy's character is connected to it. And then we go, oh, hang on, she knew about this before it came in. How did that happen? And that, you know, sparks interest in your mind. Whereas we would, we'd already been shown that and told that at the start. So we weren't interested in that answer because we saw she got a phone call telling her about it. So I think it would have been a more interesting path to tell the same story. So I'm right. <laughs> Malpractice airs Sundays uh, on ITV at 9pm, but it'll also be all available on ITVX. So we go into the other medical drama, which is uh, Dead Ringers. Uh, this is a gender-swapped modern reimagining of uh, the David Cronenberg film from 1988. That starred Jeremy Irons as twins Beverly and Elliot Mantle here, played by... Rachel Weiss, they're obstetricians who work in a busy Manhattan hospital but dream of opening their own birthing centre. Beverly is a much more sort of caring and gentle doctor who sort of cares about all the women that come into the maternity uh, wing. But Elliot is slightly more brusque and wants, when they open this maternity centre, to carry out some very odd experiments. The only visual difference between the twins is the shoes, the trainers they wear when they're on call, and also the way that they wear their hair, which makes it easy for them to swap when necessary. We see this when Beverly gets nervous examining um, an actress called Genevieve, who stars in a, a show that she loves, which we hear several times. After she leaves the hospital, Elliot, posing as Beverly, flirts with Genevieve at a bar, making it easy for her sister to approach her later on, leading to a liaison at the sister's apartment. Elsewhere, the twins attempt to get funding for their birthing centre from billionaire Rebecca. And then in the last two minutes, everything goes mental. And I'm not sure if it was the flash forward to later in the series, but you felt it was a little bit off centre from the beginning. But by the end, there are some twisty, turny moments. I'll go to Dawn first because we were talking about this and, and setting it up and you weren't sure which twin was which. Yeah, I got really confused in the middle. When they swapped, I was like... It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. Hang on. I thought that was the one with her hair up was the more loud one. I just completely lost the grip of it. But I think I got it by the end. Yeah, I do vaguely remember the film and the 
Cronenberg-esqueness of it, the darkness, the grotesqueness of it. Um, and this keeps up with that. It's very gory and graphic in the beginning. I, I'm really conflicted how I feel about this because I do think this is a, a, an occasion when the gender swap has been done for a specific reason and a reason that works and has meaning. And that it, this is about, especially in America, the state of childbirth and maternity care, uh, how many women, and especially women of colour, who die in childbirth, and the way that women's fertility is treated full stop. There's a, a character we see, a 22-year-old, who wants to uh, have a hysterectomy to be, or to be sterilised, and the reluctance to do that, and that's a, an issue, you know, women's autonomy over their own body uh, and it's always met with a brick wall so that that's very interesting I really like that side of it that these two characters desperately want to give women their full capacity of the experience of uh, fertility and childbirth and all that entails but the side of it of the twins and the swapping and the partner swapping setting up I didn't connect with that I wasn't really interested in that and I'm not quite sure how much of that is going to be the focus, that it's going to be about their relationship. And as you said, Matt, from the last few minutes, it seems like that is going to be, mm. it's going to be more about that and their relationship and the toxicity of, of how they are together and how they treat each other, whether, you know, the younger sister has been kept down. And I thought Rachel Vice is really good, very watchable. Even though I was confused, she does well at differentiating the two characters. They do have a difference in body language. And I, I just confused the names of which one was which. I don't think it's my kind of thing, but I think there's elements of it that are really interesting. I just am worried, like with malpractice, in fact, that that isn't going to be what the focus is and it's going to be on something else. Because early on, it suggests that this is going to be, as you say, it's got those sort of Cronenbergian edges to it and the opening scenes of them delivering babies i was watching this eating tomato soup for lunch which was probably oh, not the best cho choice <laughs> on several levels it was more of a medical procedural show than malpractice was in a way you know as you said it has a lot to say about modern medicine and you know the underfunding of the health service in america and the differing reasons i suppose why these twins want to have this birthing centre, you know, there's the woman who has the surrogate and has already had five children and wants to skip the line by investing in, in the birthing centre. But they, a lot of it was based in the hospital and actually based in reality, which is not what I thought mm. the show would be. And I also need I, to pick you up that it's, according to this show, it's a birthing centre as well, which really oh. niggled me. The, but... I think that's the, ac the accent, Luke, mm. I think. Well, we've um, all got a similar accent, and we all said birthing. They're not their Americans, Luke. <laughs> Those characters. No, it was it was Rachel Vice saying birthing every time. The second half with the switching. I don't think I had a, as big an issue with that, and I think I I like that. But just like, oh, we are going really off the wall again. That caught me off guard at the end. It's sort of two different shows by the end. I thought Rachel Vice was fantastic again. Like you know, we've got another strong lead female performance which is the sort of thing we're getting in most of these things we're talking about this week but again I, I nothing really really grabbed me about this and, and made me want to watch any more what about you Luke? 
Now, I feel lesser than both of you when we talk about something like this because I'm not au fait with the David Cronenberg film. Not seen it, not even heard of it. I've not, so I've not seen it, but I know what his style is. Yeah, you know is. what it is, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't. I actually, after the opening scene, there's an opening scene and then there's the title sequence that has the rhythmics, Sweet Dreams are made of this, and I had to stop it and look up whether I'd seen racial voice in anything, which, apart from about the about a boy, I hadn't. So, again, I don't quite know where I've been, or more importantly, where she's been. Cause... You've not watched The Mummy? No, I haven't. And the, the reason I had to pause it and look her up was I was thinking, is this an American doing an English act? Like, I didn't know anything about her. It's the most off-putting English accent that is probably, the more you get into it, probably... I didn't think oh, I, about the accent I, I, at I all. I did. It, it was really off-putting. It was the most sort of stereotypical British accent. I thought she was supposed to be American. Yeah, me too. Oh, no, no, she's English. She's English. 100%. She is doing the most English of English accents I've ever heard on, on anything. There's no way she's doing an American accent. So that that's a little bit disconcerting. Funnily enough, I did like the medical bits that I was expecting from malpractice being in this show. And there was elements of it that I was quite invested. There's a performance from a woman who loses her baby, which is absolutely heartbreaking and really well, pun not not intended, delivered. When they started to swap around, I did get a little bit lost because there's not that much difference between them. But it was just too nutty for me. I couldn't ever just relax and, and enjoy it because it kept changing, kept morphing. And I thought that lead performance was incredibly technical on one hand to be able to do those two performances as one person did you find that they were enough there was enough no, difference there, there wasn't like, en- no no there wasn't no. there wasn't enough to tell me oh that's the stern one that's the happy-go-lucky one that's the one who's dedicated no, but the, to- I, I suppose not no. visually but the two performances no were they- no. Oh, okay. no i never knew which one was which and i liked the medical aspects of it but as you were both alluding to, that's not the show it is and not the show it's going to become. It was just too nutty for me. And I can't believe you think she's doing American. It makes I'm me... going to watch the trailer now. Let yes, me... Yes, please. <laughs> okay, there's your, your first line. She, that's as English as English it could be. It's impossible to explain this relationship to anyone outside of it. We just cut a baby out of a woman's womb. And she asked us to. We didn't just, like, do it. She is British, you are right. How on earth? You're right, she does say that. But I suppose the fact me and Dawn didn't realise it means that it wasn't that noticeable. And I don't know. Obviously, you've got a bit of a thing with that, I think. The thing is, I don't think that either one can write the other one particularly well. And they sort of stick out like sore thumbs. So when like Emily turns up in Friends, she's like really sticks out like a sore thumb. And whenever an American character is in an English thing, not that I can think of an example off the top of my head. It, oh, no, that the, um, the one episode of The West Wing I watched where there's an English guy in it, he's supposed to be an aristocrat. He's terrible. So I don't think that Americans can write British very well. This is well, why you, you can't get on with Ted Lasso, I think, as yeah, well. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes, Ted Lasso is the perfect but that's example. Got a, but that's got a mixture of Americans and Brits in the writing room. What's the only example where it works? Is Succession. Yes. Which is, on the face of it, the blackest British comedy ever written, but is actually performed by majority American actors. 
uh, on a big American network. Well, a Scottish actor, a British actor, and an Australian actress. Yeah. And some American. Majority. A majority American is what I said, and the majority are. I was thinking about what you always say about if something takes you out of it and makes you believe this mm. is a TV show. The, the fact of the special effects of the, the, the sisters, there's a scene at the start where they're walking down the street together yeah. and then takes off her sunglasses and they hug. To, I was like, that just makes like they're going, look what we can do. Yeah, look at our technology we're using. Yeah. yeah. Let's so go on to the diplomat. Uh, not to the diplomat of Alibi. This is Netflix's diplomat. Stars Kerry Russell from The Americans. She is Kate Weiler, who is a diplomat becoming an ambassador. She spent a lot of time in the Middle East with her husband, Hal, who is also an ambassador. Uh, she's expecting to go out to Beirut when there is a missile strike on a British warship off the coast of Iran. The president uh, of the US of A calls her in and wants her to go to Britain. They don't have a British ambassador at the moment, and they want somebody who can tackle this delicate Middle East issue. They believe that Iran has caused this strike in retaliation for American actions. She's reluctant because the British ambassador position is normally a, a lot of pomp and circumstance and a lot of greasing of wheels and shaking of hands and not a lot of actual uh, diplomacy. However, she and her husband, Hal Gould, and it is revealed that, in fact, they are trying to set her up to become the new vice president. And this is her trial run to see how she will cope. Her husband is notoriously a bit of a maverick. He says things he shouldn't. The uh, president says he called the um, secretary of state a warmonger, so he can't give him a job as an ambassador anymore. He's there as the first wife type position ambassador, which obviously doesn't go down well. And he thinks he knows how to do everything better. The first day, he causes her problems with the chain of command, gets her in front of the prime minister, which uh, shouldn't be done until the foreign secretaries have spoken to each other. And there's a lot of breaking the chain of command, breaking um, the unspoken rules of diplomacy and uh, in ambassadorship. Because of all this diplomacy errors, uh, the only way they think to fix it is that Kate needs to do some nice ceremonial uh, posh pictures in front of the big house she, she lives in for Vogue. As she says, you can't fire Cinderella because the American uh, Foreign Secretary wants to get rid of her. He doesn't realise that she's being set up to become uh, vice president. At the end of the episode, we discover uh, Hal and Kate are planning to divorce, or rather... Kate is planning to divorce Hal. Hal is played by Rufus Sewell. Hal is, says, nah, 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 that's not going to happen. And he is in on the story to get her to vice president. He says, this is a frog in a boiling water situation. They're going to turn the heat up on her slowly. She wouldn't accept the vice president position now, but they're going to train her up. Uh, and then right at the end, Hal is injected with a uh, substance and uh, whisked off in a car. That's cool. how you do it, World Productions. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Luke. You you tell us what, what was wrong with this. I like this. I'll tell you for why. Because normally... Well, that's the whole reason I'm on the podcast, to tell you for why anyway, even if I don't like it. But I'll tell you why I didn't like it. Um, normally, I, I sort of struggle with political thrillers or, polit or things set in the political landscape like the aforementioned West Wing, although Borgen is 
wonderful and I love everything to do with Borgen. But normally I find them ultimately very serious. A lot of people in rooms talking or walking up and down the corridors talking, usually about things that I don't fully understand the importance of or the relevance of. And then they're very po-faced and take themselves remarkably seriously. And this was not that at all, as far as I could see. It was full of humour, full of swearing. It seemed like everyone in it was having a great time, and that seemed to wash over me quite well. And I was, by the end, really interested in why uh, Rufus Saul was drugged, because I my mind immediately went, when he gets in the car with this woman, oh, they're clearly going to be having an affair. That's what this is. Seen this a million times. And then she pulls out a, a needle and drugs him and says, you'll be fine soon, just just let us do what we need to do. And I thought Kerry Russell was absolutely fantastic. You know, I love doing The Americans. This is the first thing she's done on TV after it. Haven't got round to Cocaine Bear yet, I know. But yeah, I thought she was fantastic. Clearly having the time of her life. A character I really liked. I thought the marriage dynamic was really interesting. It wasn't too heavy on the politics that I felt lost. I want to finish Beef and then go on to this. I really liked it. Really easy watch. Really Jesus, enjoyed. Netflix are doing a job on Luke, and I, aren't they? And I it? haven't seen... The other thing that people are talking about that I haven't seen is the uh, new series from the creator of Unorthodox called Transatlantic about people uh, rescuing the Jews during World War Two, which sounds really good as well. So they've got three in a row that I'm interested in. This was in years gone by, would have been a a 9pm procedural on CBS or something, but just done with a lot more fun, a lot more swearing. And more swearing. And more swearing. And, and, you know, more emphasis on character. The marriage was a really fascinating one. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I agree, actually. (laughs) Yay! I watched two episodes. I did watch a second episode, which um, I really like all the side characters. And the thing about Kerry Russell is she has this ability to be very girl next door while still being striking and beautiful mm, mm. something very ordinary about her so which makes her feel much more believable and makes a much stronger emotional connection with her i think and i loved her walking about in suits with her hands in her pocket and a, a bag slung across her so un ambassador like she's brilliant at that and hal is just one of these i like you said the dynamics really interesting Stuart says on a phone call to the chief of staff in america he's like and by the way jesus mm, christ because yeah. he is such a oh yeah. man what one of these exasperating but charming men yeah. uh, who do so well in politics to say really i think so always... this is another show where american uh, british characters are written well by an american yes. though. yeah it's joining a very small <laughs> list but it is <laughs> like even like let's go back quick alex kingston in er never liked her never warmed to her what about pominder nagra <sighs> took a long time I nearly got there by the for me yeah but Alex Kingston I could have thrown her why didn't they get her arm cut off by the blooming propeller that's you know that's the only thing that this yeah. is this is a this is a Luke hang up you do realise this yeah I didn't like him yeah <laughs> but again I think that's more to do with the actress than the character because Parminder Nagra how did you feel about Neela or were you still on board at that point? I thought she was all right. But you see, I love Alex Kingston. So that's why it was... It I think really it was the character. She felt a bit incongruous in that, I think. Rory Kinnear 
as this sort of bumbling Prime Minister. Boris Johnson. Hit very close to home. I hope we don't spend a lot of time with that character because he's going to be very grating. But even that brief exchange between mm. him and her where he wouldn't let her speak was well done. The humour in it really surprised me because it's not something I associate with the, the genre uh, particularly. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Matt, what do you think? I'm going to be a bit of a downer on this one. I, I love Carrie Russell and I think she was brilliant in this. But I don't know. I thought there was a lot of people talking in rooms, if I'm honest, Luke. Um, I thought Rufus Saul would plays it very, very big. And I was surprised that there was, uh, you know, it was good that they had a massive house to live in so he could make his way through chewing all the various scenery oh, that no, was in no, there. No, no, no. When you speak about what we just spoke about with Rachel Voice, that was scenery chewing it no was that different... wasn't scenery chewing yes it was it was big and outlandish and no, it wasn't uh... that wasn't a big and this was a big and outlandish before i'm sorry Luke. part of that was the character that he was this guy who would rub people up the wrong way but i thought he played this very big i could sort of understand why their marriage was on the rocks the story of it is we need to make her more ladylike. That seems to be the general thing is that she's becoming the diplomat in the UK. So we're sanding off these rough edges of her being this sort of really intelligent woman and knowing all about the politics in the Middle East and having these conversations about how things should be phrased. And we're wanting to present her as this vice president. She needs to know about all the, you know, being more diplomatic. And it felt like we need to make her more palatable. And I just didn't get that. And I like Kerry Russell's character, but there just wasn't a lot for me here, I have to say, apart from the Kerry Russell performance. You watched the second one, Dawn. Would you agree yeah. with Matt's, any of Matt's thoughts having watched the second one? I think the second episode, we spend a lot more time with Hal and he is still aggravating, but it kind of makes a bit more... Not more sense, but it is more in context. But he is infuriating, and I, I think that's the only thing I thought was I don't understand why she stays married to him. Mm. Um, because... well, why she bought him, apart from... Well, the, the the thing they're saying is, oh, he's staying on as, like, an advisor because he knows more about being a ambassador than she does. But I agree with what you're saying, that it does make it seem like they want her just to be more ladylike. But I think what... She says, I don't uh, cancel speech, I don't like speeches. And I think that's the kind of side of it is that mm. the public persona, she has none. She's not interested in PR, forward But I also think that the, like, the analogies to Cinderella as well in this yeah. first episode, I think, was 
rubbing me the wrong way. You're, what you're saying about Cinderella, I'd actually written down that it felt like a cross between the West Wing and the Princess Diaries. <laughs> I mean, oh God, the, the, I wouldn't writer, watch that. The, the writer Deborah Kahn actually started on the West Wing as well and yeah. wrote about 30-odd episodes of the West Wing. Under John, oh, what's his name? He took over after Sorkin left and he did a lot of VR. And then John Sam, Wells. John Wells. She did mostly under him, so hmm. I don't know. Lots of West yeah. Wing seasons, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see why people would like this. And as I say, Kerry Russell, fantastic. Uh, but just not anything in there really grabbed me. So that's sort of where I am on it. The Diplomat is on Netflix. All eight episodes are there. We're going to conclude with a show that we have had a relationship with since the beginning. Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton are back for what we now know is the penultimate series of Inside Number 9. Um, so this one is called Mother's Ruin. Pemberton and Stuart Smith play Harry and Edward, the sons of legendary East End villains Harry and Annie Blackwood. They reunite to break into their parents' house. Uh, there's a sum of money which is allegedly hidden. Uh, Annie, Annie passed away just under a year ago, never revealed the location of this money if it doesn't exist. While Edward is keen to go to extreme lengths to find it, Harry is less keen and their plan is soon disturbed by the house's new residents, whose reason for buying the property may not have been as innocent as the brothers first thought. Dawn, your relationship with Inside Number 9, what is it? I absolutely love it. It's one of the shows that I am always talking about to people. When we interviewed a writer of a book about moonlighting, mentioning he loves uh, Jenna Coleman, so I started uh, (laughs) selling Inside Number 9 to him. So yes, I just think it's genius. The fact that they can create a world, characters, a plot, and then normally a twist or two in half an hour is amazing writing. Everybody who writes for TV, whether it's comedy, whether it's horror or drama, should be studying Inside Number 9 because they do it all so well. I'm just just... trying to think then, though, that the episode Jenna Coleman was in was also the Psychoville episode. I I was thinking the same thing. If he did watch that, he's probably going to be quite confused by it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But I just said watch Inside Number 9 in general. When I watched this episode, I thought it's a very typically Inside Number 9. Obviously, they do lots of different styles, but this one felt very typical of them, that we've got this complicated relationship between two brothers, we've got two other characters, only four characters. Mm. Um, One room. And, yeah. Don't forget about the parrot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the parrot. I suppose there is, you know, technically the character of the mother looms o- large over the episode. But uh, I really liked this. My only thing I had with this episode was, speaking of Psychoville, was that the character yeah. that Simberton was playing, I thought it was him at first. I thought, Oh, the voice is identical. Yeah. Although I don't think they're ever going to run out of plot and ideas, it may be that they're running out of characters that they can physically portray that are very distinct because they did. it just felt like somebody he'd done before. As it got on, it, it felt better. It was, it was yeah. more of a different character. It felt more, okay, I've got a handle on who this is. Awesome. Um, Really fascinating to me that they cast Phil Daniels, the ultimate Cockney, and then said, could you be like 58% more Cockney than you already are? Can you turn (laughs) Park Life up by 60% or something? Because he is the most Cockney character I've ever seen on anything. 
But that's what I'd... you get in Inside Number Nine is yeah. caricatures. So yeah, that's why, exactly. you know. Yeah. And, and Anita Dobson, completely unrecognisable. I know I didn't Sweet. realise it was her till the credits. I know Nat had told me, but I'd since forgotten and... Yeah, but she was really good. I thought I've never seen her doing. I love doing that, Mark. Yes, <laughs> I loved her. I was like, I want to see more of Anita Dobson do comedy like this. I didn't fall out of love with Inside. Did of you the Night. finish the last no, series? I didn't finish no. it. I've seen, I saw all of series. I don't know. We're on six, six? Like, which six, was yeah. not to bring it up for a fourth time. It's only me that keeps doing it. That was the COVID season where they had to stay in. You know, well, this could have been in that season. One room, very few characters, and a lot of it didn't work for me personally. Then the you next... loved that episode where they were all clowns and in masks oh, and stuff. Oh, Christ Almighty! I didn't understand that. I'm not bright enough for that. Clearly, then I did the seventh series, which I only made into a couple. There was that one with Adrian Dunbar playing himself, and the... no, that was that wasn't the seventh series. That was the sixth series. Oh, yeah. was it? Yeah. What was the se- the seventh one? So the was... first one was them on a boat with Mark Gatiss. Yeah. yeah, didn't yeah. Did, didn't click. Yeah, and then the That's... second one was the teacher one, like the Wicker Man. Yeah. Mm. I agree. Season six wasn't at all. I didn't like season six. The third one where I dropped out was called Nine Lives Cat, and it was about oh mystery, yeah, that was that was a mystery writer. Odd. It was really odd. It had Sophia Canedo. Yep. That's her. So yeah, that's where I dropped out, and I never went back to the final three. Like Dawn says, this felt quintessentially inside number nine, and I had the same thought that he was basically playing the character from Psychoville because of the voice sounded very similar. I sort of lost faith in it a little bit when the two characters came in, in Anita Dobson and Phil Daniels. I was enjoying the dynamic between the two of them and, and their family stuff. And then when they came in and the certain lines in their dialogue that I think foreshadowed what was coming and I sort of guessed it before we got there. But it was it was an enjoyable, gruesome half hour. I enjoyed it. It was not up there in, in the upper echelons of my favourite episodes. And I didn't think it was particularly cleverly resolved but i don't know how no, much that, i agree i don't know how much that matters at this point we've spoken about endlessly about you know we know the twist is coming and how important is it and i'm still wrestling with when i'm watching it am i thinking about all oh, this this is gonna have a twist or can i just I... let myself watch it and i am sort of always waiting i can't seem to turn that bit of my brain off and i don't think it was that well done this time i suppose the twist is that what he's trying at the beginning actually works, isn't it? Rather than, does this amount of money exist? Because that's what all these characters are trying to find ultimately, isn't it? I didn't think it sort of livened up until those characters came into it for me personally. You know, if you've never seen an episode of Inside Number 9 before, this is perfect for you because this is basically everything, a little bit of everything that Inside Number 9 does. As you're both saying, I've seen both of these actors play similar characters before. Mm. Almost always, you get one of them playing the sort of lower class or dimmer character, and one of them playing like the upper class or more intelligent character. Well, it's like subservient, isn't it? So in the in the Christmas special, for example, that was set in the church, Pemberton was playing like this intellectual, and Shearsmith was playing this commoner who was married to um, Shomna Galati's character. 
they've sort of switched it in this a little bit that the character that Pemberton's playing was there caring for their mother while Shearsmith's character's been away. The characters that Phil Daniels and Anita Dobson play, as you say, are very big, are very, you know, East End gangster cockneys, but that's what they're meant to be. And, and that is what Inside Number Nine does. There was a very, very, very gruesome scene, which made mm. me wince. No more uh, tomato soup for you this week. <laughs> thankfully, I watched this post-dinner, just before I went to bed, which, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think Anita Dobson was brilliant in this. I'd like to see her do more comedy. I, I, I don't think this is, again, like Luke said, up in the upper echelon. But the first episode of a new series of Inside Number 9 tends not to be the best episode, as we've said it's like a taster of what's to come of most series i enjoyed it but it wasn't one that's going to stay with me it's a very much an also ran episode yeah dawn what's your favorite all time i knew you were going to ask me that uh my favorite all time is bernie 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 clifton's i'm having trouble i know (laughs) you're going to be in the cribbins (laughs) dawn's having a breakdown (laughs) we'll be back with her shortly Bernie Clifton's dressing room yeah. is my favourite episode. Okay. Uh, with a close second is the one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one uh, after that where it's told in uh, 10 minutes backwards chrono- Ooh, chronology. Called? Yeah. It's called Once Removed. Once Removed, there we go. I don't yeah. remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, genius. How that one, they wrote that, that one. What, I don't... No, I agree with you. I've got a soft spot for one that nobody talks about and I need to get the name up for it. Barely. I know most people, it's um, 12 Days of Christine. Yeah, and that's favorite. completely understandable. And Quiet Night In. Quiet Night In, I really yeah. love. But I've got a soft spot for Diddle Diddle Dumpling, which is a really... Yeah, the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going th- to say that one as well. Just watched that one last week. Uh, Gold had a run of them on uh, Easter Sunday night, so I watched a bunch. The last two of the last series, Luke, I really enjoyed for different reasons. The one with Jessica Hines and then... The final one. Very grounded in reality, that last episode of the last series. Well, there was one in series... I'm looking at them now. This is going to be series six, isn't it? Isn't that... Oh, no, series five. No, series five had Love's Great Adventure, which was a kitchen sink drama which had a twist that was so subtle that. that a lot of people missed it. The actual dynamics in that and the kitchen sink drama appealed to me unsurprisingly i thought it was really well done i would be fascinated to know how they choose the order of them i've always wondered because as matt says the first and if one is their decision yeah because no. the first one is often not the best for whatever reason it's often the most outlandish of them all like series four started with zanzibar series five started with the referee series six started with that french series one. what the f- very first episode is sardines isn't yeah it? yeah Series 6, which I didn't like, also had the Last Night of the Proms episode, which I really struggled to get my head round. Was that the one that had Jesus in it? Yes, it was. Yes. That was the one that was repeated on Easter Sunday last um, (laughs) last, last week, which I thought was very good timing. (laughs) Eight series in, incredibly inventive Mm. and incredibly clever and Mm. should not be dismissed or second-guessed. Even though you did second-guess it. <laughs> and dismiss it. <laughs> don't forget the dismissing. The moral to this story is don't be like Luke. I think that's the moral of this episode. Be better. But do watch The Diplomat and don't bother with malpractice. Um, 
that is the podcast for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Dawn, remind people, where are you online? Always online. No. Yeah, uh, always. You can find me at Twitter, uh, at DawnGlenn2, and uh, the shipyard is ShipyardUSC. You can also find me on Instagram at uh, IkleOshu, I-K-K-L-E-O-S-E. Where does that come from? Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. We haven't got the <laughs> time. Long enough, Jesus. Well, uh, that'll be the start of the next one. All three of us. Are on. Yeah, any any question you ask, where somebody goes, oh, you just feel like I'm not going to. Be like a Netflix drama. <laughs> That's the twist to um, back. The okay. We are online as well. TheCustardTV.com is the website. We're also on Facebook. Just search The Custard TV. The podcast can be found on all your podcast apps of choice. Please wait, review and subscribe. A massive archive there uh, that you can listen back through. Also, uh, Dawn is in charge of the Instagram at the moment. It's Custard TV. I say at the moment as if I'm going to sack her. She... <laughs> <laughs> She's very kindly doing it out of the goodness yes, of her. Yes, exactly. Oh, I, don't why I, I don't know why I said... No, it's worse than that. I don't understand the technology. Um, so that's where you can find us. It's the Custard TV. I'm on Twitter at Lou Custard TV. The podcast is at Custard TV Pod. Matt's at Matt's TV Bites. And the email address, should you want to get in touch with us for any reason at all, is CustardTVReviews at gmail.com. Matt, what's next week? I know Citadel is next week, but apart from that, I, I, I'm not sure. Look forward so to Citadel it. Citadel and other things. <laughs> the Citadel special next week. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. <laughs>